Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Dr. Mitchell Sullivan. He's a modern research career track fellow and a National Health and Medical Research uh, Council member. Uh, he's also what's called a Martin Fellow. And um, we're going to talk about uh, glycation and diabetes research. I'm not even sure what I know. I've heard of advanced glycation products, but that's the only glycation I know of. But we'll get into that. So, uh, Mitch, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I've been excited about uh, having this chat with you. Oh, good. So, um, you know, just generically, I know you're involved in diabetes research. Um, in your own words, what, uh, what area of diabetes are you focusing on? And then we'll, we'll drill down with questions. Absolutely. Um, I suppose I've, I've focused on a few different areas uh, over the course of my career so far. And it's always centering around this molecule called glycogen, uh, which is essentially uh, glucose batteries. So a way of storing glucose. So earlier on in my career, and it's still ongoing research. I was looking at liver glycogen and how the structure of this uh, appears to be different in diabetes. Uh, recently, uh, working with Professor Joe Forbes at the moment in Brisbane, we're looking more at um, diabetic kidney disease, trying to understand you know, this link between diabetes and the high incidence of kidney disease. And again, my expertise is in glycogen. So I'm looking at a sort of uh, interesting phenomenon that the kidney starts to overaccumulate lots of this glycogen molecule um, when diabetes is present. So this glycation product, um, it, it sounds like it, does it upregulate a process in the kidney or what does it do in the kidney, um, you know, when it's there? Yeah, so um, I guess the, the whole idea of glycation is uh, quite separate to glycogen, I guess. So there'd be other people in the, in the group that I'm in that are, are looking more at these advanced glycation end products and how this uh, may play a role in kidney disease. For me, uh, what I'm really focusing on is uh, this phenomenon that, you know, a normal uh, a kidney under um, uh, non-diabetic conditions essentially has no glycogen. Um, so very little, uh, it's even hard to measure. Whereas uh, you get uh, diabetes and these high blood glucose levels that start to drive this high accumulation of uh, these big glycogen molecules. So just a little bit of background on glycogen. Uh, roughly, you have you know, tens of thousands of glucose units uh, all attached together in these giant molecules, you know, highly branched. And this is essentially to store glucose for later use. So in the liver, this is you know, very normal. We use that so that uh, we don't have to continually be eating and stoking the furnace to keep our, our body going. It means we can have breakfast. Uh, we can store this energy in the liver so that as the day progresses, you know, before lunchtime, we can release that glucose back into the blood and, you know, feed, you know, the hungry brain, which absolutely loves glucose. Uh, in the muscle, we use this glycogen almost as a battery for the muscle tissue itself. So if we go for a jog, this obviously requires a lot of energy uh, to get the muscle fibers contracting. And this glycogen can be used to fuel um, this contraction. 
The kidneys, however, uh, normally do not have this glycogen or it's at such a low level that it hasn't really been thought of as significant. In diabetes, we start to see levels accumulating uh, you know, as high as the muscle tissue, which is the second highest concentration in the body. So the question is, is this glycogen causing damage? Uh, I've done a bit of work uh, in Toronto with some colleagues, uh, Professor Burge Manassian and his team, looking at glycogen storage diseases, where you have a abnormal accumulation of glycogen directly causing uh, tissue damage. So that's one hypothesis, is that in diabetes, um, the kidneys abnormally accumulate this glycogen, and this actually causes uh, direct kidney damage itself. Okay, so how does it cause kidney damage? Does it build up in uh, inside of a nephron and block the tubing? Like, how does it happen? Yeah, so I guess um, at this stage, uh, it's, the hypothesis um, is that it's causing kidney damage. Uh, we just don't know. It's possible that um, this is actually a compensatory mechanism to almost sequester some of this glucose uh, because we know, you know, high blood glucose is a big problem of, of diabetes. But yeah, so one potential mechanism um, could be similar to these glycogen storage diseases where you accumulate abnormally structured glycogen, almost starch-like, uh, which has longer chain lengths and becomes insoluble. Um, so what, what occurs in things like Lafora disease and Anderson's disease, which are these uh, sort of classical glycogen storage diseases, is that the glycogen doesn't remain soluble, which is um, you know, a key feature of glycogen is that it should be soluble and therefore able to be broken down by the enzymes. But instead, they start to clump together in these insoluble, almost starch-like granules. And you know, if these get big enough, you can see um, electron microscopy images uh, where it completely fills a whole cell. So for example, in Lafora disease, it can fill a whole axon in the cell, and this will cause the neuron to die and the inflammation to uh, sort of follow that. So potentially in the kidney, um, you have a similar process where you have this buildup of insoluble glycogen that can completely fill these tubule cells um, and therefore cause you know, structural damage and then inflammation. Um, if you see some of the electron microscope images or or histo, um, histological images we have, um, you do see some cells just very full of this um, glycogen-like material. So that's one potential mechanism. So, okay, so you literally can see these, these specific cells full of the material and it looks like, well, like grains or starch grains or grains of rice or something? Exactly right. So much bigger than just a single glycogen molecule. Um, but yeah, they're, they're sort of accumulated together. And that was what really drew me to the hypothesis that this kind of damage could be uh, occurring in the kidney is that they look very similar to the sort of granules you see in Lafora disease and, you know, um, Anderson's disease and these kind of glycogen storage diseases. So at the moment, um, this is very new um, research. So it's, it's still just a hypothesis. Um, but that's the one that, you know, uh, we, we will be testing in the future. So... Once they're in these uh, in these cells, do you think they're ever liberated at times, or they stay in there? Um, you know, yeah, is, is so, there any longitudinal look at what they're doing? Yeah, so there has been some, um, certainly not in the kidney yet, but in in um, glycogen storage diseases, um, there's been some effort to try to see if these um, odd accumulations move into things like the lysosomes, which should be able to break them down. And I guess the uh, the main answer is that. Maybe some are, but it gets completely overwhelmed. Um, so 
the capacity for the body to get rid of these is is overwhelmed and they do just stay in the cell. I think when a cell actually maybe uh, gets completely um, destroyed or ruptures, then it might leak out into the bloodstream or surrounding area. Um, but that seems to be um, a fairly rare thing to see, I guess, in, in microscopy. Um, so I suppose uh, the main idea is that it sits in the cell until the cell becomes, um, I guess, so damaged that it dies. And if you have enough of these cells, you can, you can imagine the structural damage that would occur. What model are you using? Are you looking at this in, in people from biopsies or mice or what? Yeah. Yeah. So at the moment, um, both mice and we, we're lucky enough to have um, a good uh, collaborator at the Princess Alexandra Hospital, um, nephrologist who can um, give us some kidney tissue from human patients. So, um, for example, you know, with roughly 10% of people having diabetes, um, you know, when they take some tumor tissue, for example, if someone has kidney cancer, uh, 10% of the people will have diabetes and they can take some of the non-cancerous tissue. Uh, but we, when we're looking at the mechanistic things, um, mice are still the way to go. And we have a few different models of, of diabetic mice. We have genetic models. Um, there's a DBDB mouse which lacks its leptin receptor. So it doesn't uh, feel full ever, really. So it will keep eating. It will gain um, a lot of body weight and, and start to resemble almost a type 2 diabetic patient. Uh, we can also use chemical methods. Um, to induce type 1 diabetes. Uh, streptozotocin um, is a toxin that will essentially cause the body to attack the, the beta, uh, beta cells in the pancreas and you have a very similar situation to type 1. So we have these uh, mouse models that we're looking at. Um, we're trying to find out more specifically where the, where the glycogen is accumulating in the kidney. So you've got the whole nephron. Um, it appears that the, the, um, the TAL or the the thick ascending limb, which is a specific part of that nephron, seems to be where a lot of this glycogen is forming. And we also want to see if, if the location of this glycogen corresponds to where we can see kidney damage. So we can also, you know, stain our tissue for markers of, of kidney damage and see if there's a, a co-localization. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Have you tried, um, you know, the mice that have this, have you tried mm-hmm. fasting them, let's say, for a few days and then seeing, uh, looking at the cells and seeing if there's a, a clearance, yeah. you know, of these products or uh, putting them on a certain diet? Yeah, that's um, we haven't actually tried that, but that's that's a very nice experiment um, to yeah essentially see if they're like these you know Lafora um, disease bodies that are essentially permanent or if it, it's just normal glycogen. So that's one thing um, that we'd very much like to do. Another uh, experiment that um, I'm pretty excited about is we have this um, mouse model that we're we're developing at the moment that um, will lack 
its ability to make glycogen only in the kidney. So it should um, theoretically make glycogen everywhere else to the same extent. Um, but we use a specific kidney uh, promoter, CAD16 or CADherin16, which will mean it will knock out the main enzyme for glycogen synthesis in the kidney. And then we can essentially give these mice diabetes and we can see, you know, is the kidney damage better or worse? Uh, what is their blood glucose control like? And hopefully this will give us an indication of whether there is actually um, something going on here with the, the glycogen accumulation. So again, you don't know the mechanism by which the kidney is damaged. You see the appearance of these products, but um, again, any hint on as to uh, as to mechanism of damage? No. So I think um, that's further down the line at this point. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of literature um, sort of explaining other mechanisms by which diabetes can cause kidney damage. So by no means do I think this is the cause. Um, it might just be a particular um, cause of a specific type of kidney damage. Uh, but there's certain things we will look at, I suppose, um, you know, markers of autophagy to see if basically the, the cells are being overwhelmed. I mean, I'll really be talking a lot with, um, you know, Burge Manassian and the team that I worked with uh, in Toronto on glycogen storage diseases um, to try and, I guess, borrow from their wisdom on on the main things they they generally look at. But things like, um, you know, markers of autophagy is one thing they, they often look at. Um, and then just different markers for kidney damage, like, um, looking to see if there's, um, you know, fibrin, um, which is the sort of uh, system that will come in once you start getting cells dying, you start getting fibrosis. Um, so markers for things like that will also be used. And then you even know to look in these cells for the accumulation of glycogen. So there has, um, way back, uh, you know, decades and decades ago, this was noted that there's glycogen um, in, you know, diabetic kidneys and that potentially this could be a real issue um, that sort of lost a little bit of momentum I guess in the literature and then there were a few studies um, you know within the last decade that have noted um, glycogen being there um, I guess I have a bit of a, an advantage in that glycogen metabolism is my you know real uh, wheelhouse I guess so I can um, look into things like the structure of the glycogen uh, you know, the chain length being very important. We know if that gets too long, uh, you start to get these um, starch-like granules forming. Um, and also technology has, has gotten better with microscopy so that we can really start to, um, I guess, get a better understanding of, of what's going on here. So, uh, okay. Um, this cell type, again, morpho morphologically, where is it in the kidney? And what are your suspicions as to its normal function in the kidney and how its function is impaired by this? So, yeah, so essentially with the kidney, you have, um, you know, the glomerulus at one end, which is sort of the, the filtration unit. And then you have a long um, tube, the nephron, which will eventually lead out um, where, the, where the urine uh, is expelled. So you've got this sort of long tubule uh, system. So um, the thick ascending limb is, I suppose, I guess, halfway along, along this, this tube. And I think the idea is that usually... Um, what we know is that glucose doesn't usually get this far down the nephron. Um, so usually uh, we want to recycle all of the glucose uh, back into the blood because it's, it's a very expensive, um, you know, high in energy uh, molecule. And, it, you know, especially during our evolution, it made no sense to, to lose this in the urine. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
So we think that this, uh, these cells down here are not used to seeing um, glucose essentially going past, past them. In diabetes, uh, you know, um, a lot of this glucose is expelled in the urine. We know that's a, a very common way to test for diabetes is simply look for uh, glucose in the urine. And so therefore you have a lot more glucose passing these cells. And we think potentially these cells, you know, not being used to seeing um, glucose at all, might start making this glycogen and, and not really have the capacity to, to do it properly, I guess. As far as what these cells normally do, um, I mean, in, in my mind, the main thing is the structural element of, I guess, um, you know, the nephron acting as a, a way to filter, um, you know, in what we want and, and obviously expel the waste. Um, so you think, so, are they scaffolding for the nephron or like what, what purpose would they serve in relation to the nephron, do you think? I mean, they're a part of the tube, I guess, um, is, is the sort of extent of that. So um, okay. it's, it's more like a segment of the tube as opposed to specific cells um, within the tube, if that makes sense. So if you think of like a long nephron and then you, you go halfway along, you sort of make a cut completely through that nephron, um, then you have the, the thick ascending limb uh, tubule until it suddenly uh, becomes a different region, uh, the distal tubule. So it's not so much that there are specific cells scattered throughout the nephron, it's an actual portion of the nephron itself. Uh, so if you think of you know, a garden hose, if you suddenly just cut a one inch gap completely through them, um, that would be sort of what we're looking at here. But um, I had thought along the nephron, you know, like I guess I would call them, I guess the epithelial cells or the cells lining the tube of the nephron, um, mm. different substances, I thought, you know, again, I don't know, are, are filtered out at different stages along the length of the tube and along one yeah. of the bends. So I would think the yeah. cell type would, would change and the cellular ability is along the length of the tube. So the cells that are affected are just one of the cells that are along the length of this tube at a certain location. And if so, does that give you a clue as to what they would normally be filtering preferentially? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So absolutely. So earlier on in the nephron, uh, you're filtering your, your glucose and molecules like this. Um, I'll be honest in the, the thick ascending limb, I'm not actually sure what specific substrates would be getting filtered back into the blood, if any at all at this point. Um, that'd be something I'd, I'd, I'd talk to the nephrologist um, expert that I work with, uh, particularly my supervisor, um, Professor Joe Forbes. Um, but for me, I was mainly, the, the big clue that I was sort of focusing on was the fact that they're not used to seeing glucose. Um, so you're absolutely right that these cells behave very different, differently, including what um, substrates they use for their own energy. Um, and that's something, yeah, I will definitely... Uh, have a bit of a scout and look through because your logic's very good there. That's, that's definitely a, a wonderful place to look for clues. Yeah, like, you know, again, I'm just making this up, but is that part of the tube filters a lot of phosphorus and uh, whatever, then yeah. okay, what does that tell you? Why preferentially is that area, when it sees glucose, is it storing it when further, you know, earlier on in the nephron, it's not storing it and... You know, that's why I thought it may reveal some interesting info. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it certainly, it to me makes sense that earlier on, uh, this may not be as big, a, big of an issue because, um, you know, the whole point is to get glucose into the, you know, the uh, proximal tubules and back out into the blood. Um, I, I would guess that um, by the time you get into the thick ascending limb, um, it's not used to seeing glucose. So 
it may not really have a capacity to then get rid of the glucose back into the blood like earlier on. Uh, I was, I was the sort of thing I was more thinking about was just that it hasn't really seen glucose before, so its glycogen metabolism setup might not be able to cope with it. But I'll, I'll dig into that deeper. That's, that's, that's a great, um, a great way to. Well, it, it may, it may see it because I mean, so far as I know, like this is now, I guess, thousands of years ago. You know, hmm. the Greeks, uh, the the name like diabetes mellitus, I think, means like honey urine or sugar urine. Yeah. So. Sugar was making it, or it is making it into the urine of, you know, it depends how bad you are diabetically, but it does make it into the urine at some point. So it's got to pass that point, but it sounds like it's being um, stored there as glycogen for some reason. And I don't know, it's, you know, again, the glucose, I guess, does make it the whole way, you know. Yeah, but, uh, so that's, yeah, that's certainly the case. That's certainly the case for diabetes. Um, originally, you know, when, when diabetes is, I guess, early in progression, um, the, the proximal tubule cells early up on the nephron will actually upregulate the amount of transporters to get more glucose back into the blood. But this is um, this is can only go to a certain extent, um, and then yeah, you will get glucose uh, passing through. So I think ever since there was diabetes, this this phenomenon is likely to happen. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it hasn't really been looked at um, much, so it's a fun journey to start on. Yeah, you definitely found something really interesting. Um, Thanks, Richard. What, what, so what else about your, I mean, what, is, uh, what kind of intuitions are you getting so far about what you found? And, you know, what other aspects of diabetes do you want to focus on? Or is this enough? Like, you know, just yeah. looking at this mechanism is plenty. So I suppose um, this is still, you know, the very early phase, uh, you know, almost the preliminary data grant writing phase where um, mm. the main <clears throat> the main intuitions just come from the, histological images that, that show something that to me look very similar to glycogen storage diseases. I suppose the, the much more mature um, research that I've done goes back to my PhD uh, that involved diabetes and this was related more to liver glycogen. So one, one interesting um, difference between liver glycogen and muscle glycogen is that uh, the glycogen particles come together in these much larger particles. So you can think of muscle glycogen um, as almost like a, a spherical looking highly branched molecule, um, you know, picture it as a billiard ball, let's say. In the liver, you can have 50 to 100 of these coming together into these larger aggregates called alpha particles. And we think this has actually evolved for a specific re uh, reason. Um, you know, if you've ever had one of those big dissolvable aspirin tablets uh, and your, your headache's particularly bad, you know, if you break it down into smaller parts, it will dissolve more quickly because you're exposing more surface area. And we think that's essentially why in the muscle you have these smaller particles called beta particles, because when you need uh, energy from the muscle, you, you essentially need it quickly. Uh, the liver has a very different role in that, you know, you stop eating and then you want to slowly release glucose back into the blood, um, you know, over the course of hours. So we think that evolutionary, uh, there was a drive to, you know, make these larger uh, particles to hide a lot of the molecule away and decrease the surface area. You know, it wouldn't be useful to suddenly dump all of that glucose back into the blood quickly. So what we looked at was these alpha particles in the liver and whether there was a difference between healthy and diabetes. Um, this was an honours project to begin with, and it, it, we suddenly had some, some cool um, technologies to compare the structure. So we thought, well, you know, diabetes is related to blood glucose uh, mismanagement, so let's start there. And what we found was that the, 
the large alpha particles in diabetes break down um, quite readily into the smaller beta particles, which made us think, okay, you know, this potentially is exacerbating poor blood glucose control because uh, we suddenly have a lot more of the of the glycogen exposed, and therefore, if there is enough enzyme to degrade it, it should happen uh, more quickly. And we we found in vitro that indeed these particles do degrade more quickly. Um, so that's ongoing research, um, a particular interest of mine, and I'm hoping before the day that I die that we've we've discovered what is actually sticking these particles together in the liver to make alpha particles. We have a couple of ideas, but that is still a mystery, um, which I'm, I'm happy to still be uh, looking into. What, um, so you talked about muscle glycogen. What about liver glycogen? What does that look like? And if you put up um, pictures of the morphology of the glycogen particles from liver, mm. you know, imagining this on like a, you know, one of those like light boxes, you put up the yeah. liver ones, you put up the, the muscle ones, now you put up these kidney cell ones. Are there other areas in the body that do this? And then what do they look like side by side? What's the difference? Yeah, so um, so essentially uh, in the, this diabetes story, it was the liver uh, glycogen I was talking about. Sorry about that. So that's where these larger alpha particles uh, are made. Um, in the muscle, you have the, the smaller particles. Um, so think, I, I like to think that you know it's roughly 50 to 100 um, smaller molecules that come together to form these large alpha particles in the liver. We have found um, in heart tissue, um, they, they do form some of these alpha particles for the larger particles, um, but not quite to the extent of the liver. Um, some very preliminary data in the kidney uh, shows that it looks more like your muscle glycogen, um, what we found, so smaller particles, um, not these large alpha particles. And to be honest with other tissues, um, we just don't know. Like uh, with the brain, um, you know, it, it's sometimes hard to get enough glycogen out to do all this analysis, um, but uh, it would be interesting to look at as well. So the main two uh, tissues that seem to have this extra level of structure where these uh, glycogen molecules come together in these large aggregates appears to be the liver and the heart. Are you able to uh, look at a cross-section? of these particles and, you know, look at them again on, uh, you know, uh, when you look at them, are they round and smooth? Are they rough and jagged? Do they have certain morphologies? And if you cut yeah. through them, do they, you know, do they have, uh, do the centers look similar? Yeah. I'm not sure about cutting through them. We've, um, you know, we see them in transmission electron microscopy or scanning electron uh, microscopy. Uh, and so you do get an idea, I guess, of their morphology, uh, but not in that sort of 3D way you're talking about. Um, I've spoken to some colleagues um, at UQ, and, and this is this would be at the very cutting edge of microscopy um, to be able to cut through uh, these particular glycogen molecules. Um, but yeah, I think the more resolution, the better. It's certainly it's not smooth like a billiard ball. Uh, it, it's lots of exposed chain ends, so you can think of it, um, you know, as like a roughly spherical. Um, sort of highly branched molecule with lots of little chains, if that makes sense. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I just wonder what, you know, what kind of clues you would get from doing that. So, hmm. yeah, I'm always, I'm always, uh, I love talking to the people at the cutting edge of microscopy um, and, and, you know, methods to, to be able to fix these kind of particles and, and have such precision to cut them in half. Um, and I think it's, potentially there's a project there with the technology we have 
it would be finding uh, the right PhD students to put their hand up. But I think that would be very cool. Well, here you literally need the cutting edge, literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, bad joke. Um, <laughs> no, I don't like it. Um, depending on how the glycogen, again, is stored, is it is it more accessible in one form versus another? You know, maybe the structure again of these particles and the size uh, would would show you like the availability of uh, you know of the of the glycogen to be converted back into glucose that you know if needed. Absolutely. So the the main one we focus on is is simply just the size, uh, given this surface area to volume ratio um, that I mentioned. Um, but the the other things to consider, I suppose, are location in the cell. Um, so that's uh, something we haven't really looked at, but um, where the glycogen actually is in the cell, um, you know, will influence, I suppose, how close it is to certain enzymes. Um, you also have to, uh, when you're thinking about glycogen, it may be a carbohydrate that has lots of proteins attached to it, including, you know, the glycogen degradated um, proteins. So a lot of a lot of what will control this is also, you know, the, the quantity of um, these enzymes. The activation state of these enzymes are often uh, phosphorylated or dephosphorylated, depending on which enzyme, which will make them active or inactive. Um, so there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of different variables, I guess, that will influence its, its degradation. Uh, the ones that I mainly focus on are just the, the surface area or, or the size of the molecules. And because I'm so interested in whether the molecules are soluble or not, based on glycogen storage diseases, the chain length is something I always um, I always ha- have a particular focus on. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, very good. What's um? What uh, I don't know. Any idea when you think you're going to get some insights and get uh, some heavy lab work done? Figure out. Uh, figure out more. Yeah. So um, with with that uh, if we're talking about the um, if we're talking about the kidney the kidney story. Uh, we have the the mice uh, ready to be bred. Um, so you know. Uh, given the, the difficulties of COVID, a lot of the experiments had to be sort of put on hold. Um, but hopefully next year we can actually get those mice up and going uh, to see what the effect is of knocking out their ability to make kidney glycogen. As far as looking at the, the structure, um, location, and also, you know, uh, co-localization with um, kidney damage, that's what we're doing, you know, right at the moment. So I'm ho- hopefully within the next six months, if we have another conversation, we'll have a lot more data to share with you as far as um, the kidney glycogen story. Uh, when we're talking about the, the liver glycogen and this difference between diabetes and non-diabetes where um, the big alpha particles are fragile in diabetes, potentially leading to um, you know, a faster release of, of glucose. Uh, this is ongoing as well. Um, the majority of the work I do is with Professor Bob Gilbert, my honours and PhD supervisor, who's, um, you know, really been, um, you know, working hard on this uh, with me ever since I started my honours. Uh, that's still ongoing work here in Australia and in his group in China. Um, so there's a few there's a few answers I really want, but one of them is what's actually holding these particles together. And then I suppose that will give us a, an insight into whether we can potentially um, I guess influence in a in diabetes with um, this mechanism of, of sticking the particles together. Um, so it's hard to put a time frame on it, but we're working harder on all these questions now. Okay, well, very good. Well, Mitchell, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and keep tabs? 
Yeah, so I think uh, if they just look up, um, if they look up, you know, Dr. Mitchell Sullivan and on MARTA research page or University of Queensland page, that will have all my list of, of publications um, and that, and, um, you know, my email address, uh, mitchell.sullivan at marta.uq.edu.au. Uh, if anyone wants to contact me there, um, even just for a discussion, I could talk glycogen all day. Uh, you know, you, you grow up and you never think you're going to have a favourite molecule, but here we are. Um, so if anyone's interested, please just contact me. Uh, I love talking about it. Okay, excellent. Well, Mitchell, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Me too. I really appreciate it. It was fun. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.